What's up, everybody? It's great to be here with you this morning. I'm excited to see so many familiar faces, even those of you online watching. It's great to see your faces. It's great to be here. And uh, it's really exciting because I'm here, but Blake Anderson, the greatest student pastor of all time, is now at the South Oaks campus. And so he just keeps replacing me, you know? It's like I can't keep him from replacing me. But man, I praise God for what God is doing through Blake. I know God's using him at the South Oaks campus. And students, you're so blessed to have Blake Anderson. He's, he loves Jesus with all his heart. He's a real deal. What a blessing. But listen, if you know anything about me, you spend any time with me at all, something that you know about me for sure is that I have a hard time remembering not to forget. And it's not that I have like a terrible memory. It's just that I forget what I should remember. I'm just, I'm just not remembering. I'm just, that's, that's it. I'm, I struggle to remember the things and not forget them. Like for example, things that are important, everyday things, like my keys, my wallet, my phone. I'm always looking for those things. They always, they have a way of just kind of eluding me. Maybe something that also happens to me all the time is right before I'm about to say something, I forget what I was gonna say. And so, those that love me have come around me and with their help and love and support, I've put processes and systems in place to make sure that I remember to not forget. So when I get home every day, my keys and my wallet, in fact, actually, I don't know where my wallet is right now. It's a perfect example, not on purpose, I, I, somewhere at my house, Lord willing. But most every day I remember this process to take, as soon as I come in the door, to put my keys in my wallet right in between the washer and dryer, a special little cubby just for me. But you know what? Lauren and I also, to, to make sure that I remember what we need to talk about, we have a text thread called TDD, Topics to Discuss, to make sure that whenever we have a thought, we just, TTD, we just send it to each other. We copy and paste and send that all day long, whenever we have a thought, so that we don't forget to communicate what we need to communicate. We've put these processes in place to make sure that we remember to not forget. Now, I'd love to tell you that those are the only things that I have a hard time remembering, but if I'm really honest with you, I also very often forget who God is and what he's done. If I'm honest, whenever I come up against something, a difficult situation, a trial, a struggle, something that isn't going the way that I would hoped it would go. I'm so, quickly to, I'm so quick to forget that God is absolutely in control and he's able to use every single thing in my life. Everything that the enemy would intend for evil, he's able to work it for good. I forget what I should remember. I forget that he's my provider. I forget that he can use whatever I walk through ultimately for my benefit. When I, I forget when the finances are tight, that he's gonna make a way, just like he's always made a way. I forget what I should remember. And I do it often. Anytime I get worried, anytime I get anxious, I'm just forgetting what I should remember. But I have a feeling I'm not the only one in here who ever has a hard time forgetting what he should remember about God. The truth is, we are all given to sinful forget, forgetfulness. We're all given to selfish forgetfulness. Now that may, seem, that, that may sound harsh, but it doesn't make it any less true. You and I all, whenever we come against hard things, we have a tendency to forget 
what we should remember. We forget that God wants to be Lord, not just over our Sunday, but of our life. We forget that the vows that I made before the Lord for my spouse are actually something I'm supposed to be true to. We forget when things get tight that we can continue to trust God with all that we have because it's all his anyway. We think that somehow it's ours. We forget that the only place that we can find joy and fulfillment and all that life's intended to be is only in Jesus. We think we can find that in ourselves. And it's the issue is we're forgetting. We're forgetting that life only exists in Jesus. We all tend to forget what we should remember. And that's not just true for you. It's not just true for me. It's true for all people, all time. It's true for the Israelites in the book of Exodus. They have a tendency to forget what they should remember. And that's why God is doing whatever he can to make sure he's putting processes in place to make sure that they remember that everything that he says he will do is something that he will do. Everything that he promises is a promise he'll keep. He always comes through. He always provides. He always makes a way. Even when it looks like there's no way, God always does exactly what he says he will do. And so that's what we're going to see in our passage this morning is that God is setting up and putting things in position for the Israelites, processes and systems for them to always remember and not forget. So with that in mind, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. But while you turn there, let me just give you a quick little synopsis, a quick little previously in the book of Exodus to catch you up to speed. So last week we heard God is preparing the Israelites for the 10th and final plague. And it's this plague that's gonna lead to their deliverance. This is gonna be the plague that's gonna force Pharaoh to let them go. They've gone through nine plagues, but God has gotten them ready. He's telling them how it's gonna happen, how it's gonna go down and how they need to put their faith in action. And that the thing that's gonna deliver them, the thing that is going to save them is gonna be the blood of a perfect lamb painted on the doorpost of their house, pointing to the greatest deliverance of all time. And so that's where we are. And what we're gonna see right now as we pick up the story from there is that God is saying what he told them was gonna happen, now it's gonna happen. Like to quote the great philosopher Pitbull, it's going down. Go ahead and cry timber. This is gonna be a night they won't forget. This will be the one they always remember. Look at what it says in verse 29 of chapter 12. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. I mean, this is an abrupt start, isn't it? Bam, right here, the angel of death is coming. Now in the midst of this abruptness, the reason why it's so abrupt is because of where we're picking up the story. But don't let the abruptness of how this passage starts distract you from what's happening. What is happening here is God is keeping his promise. He is doing exactly what he said he would do. And he's keeping this promise to Moses. He told Moses 
in chapter three, verse 19 and 20, when he appeared to him in the burning bush, he said, Pharaoh is not gonna listen to you. He's not gonna let the people go, but I will show my miracles and my wonders and I will deliver the people with a strong and mighty hand. This is God delivering his people with the strong and mighty hand. This is God breaking the will of Pharaoh. He's doing exactly what he said he would do. Now, as soon as I read this and we talk about every single firstborn in the land of Egypt dying, that can be something that we struggle with. But I want you to understand the reason why this is happening is because Pharaoh would not heed the warning from Yahweh. He wouldn't heed the warning. And now God is doing, he's following through, he's doing what he said he would do. He's keeping his promise to Moses and he's following through with what he said to Pharaoh. Because here's what we have to remember. Pharaoh thinks that he's God. He thinks that he's the most powerful God in all of Egypt. And just like we've seen throughout this whole series, God is continuing to judge all the false gods of the Egyptians and prove that he is the one true God. And you know what, at this point, there's no gods left in Egypt. In all the pantheon of Egypt, God has taken out Yahweh, he's taken out every single one, proving that he is the one true God. And this last plague is a plague directed specifically at Pharaoh. Because up to this point through the first nine plagues, all that's happened is that Pharaoh's mind has been informed There's plenty of intellectual evidence that Yahweh is who he says he is. But because Pharaoh believes that he is a God, that's probably why he continues to get in the ring with Yahweh. That's why he continues to think I'll outlast him. My, My determination will be enough. His mind has been informed that Yahweh was God, but he still in his heart had a will to stand against him. And with this last 10th and final plague, As the cry gets lifted up in Egypt and Pharaoh discovers his own son dead, God breaks his will by breaking his heart. He did exactly what he said he would do. Now, I think we need to stop for a second and just think about maybe, maybe I and you have a little bit more to identify with Pharaoh than we think we do. Like we like to just kind of identify him as a villain, but I think that maybe you just need to be willing to look inside yourself and consider who you are for a moment and maybe perhaps discover that you have more in common with Pharaoh than you think that you do. And here's what I mean. Maybe your mind is informed about Yahweh. Maybe you would even say you believe in Jesus, but yet your heart still will not submit your will to God. You still want to be in control. You still want to do things your own way. And you allow the word of God and what God says in his word to be something that just influences your life rather than something that defines it. Your mind would acknowledge, yes, he is, but has your heart been informed to literally completely submit to his will and do what he says? Are you willing to submit your will to him? Let this be a warning to you this morning. My prayer for you is that if there's any part of your heart that's not submitting all of your will to the one true Lord God who always does what he says, that you would do that this morning. That you'd receive what Pharaoh's going through as a warning because you know what? He would never receive the warning that God gave him. 
He wouldn't submit his will until God finally broke it with this 10th plague. Because what he was discovering is God did, he's, God's doing to me, Yahweh is, exactly what he said he would do. Look at Exodus chapter four, this warning back that before any of the plagues happen, that Yahweh gives to Pharaoh. Chapter four, verse 22 and 23, it says this, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Right here, what we see in chapter 12 is that God is doing what he always do, does. And that's exactly what he said he would do. And it's in this moment that Pharaoh's will is broken. His heart is broken. And he understands that he is absolutely no match for Yahweh. He has to submit. If you think about it, this is so ironic. What's happening in chapter 12? Because the people of Israel have been crying for a long time. In chapter five, they cried out to God for relief. In chapter two, or excuse me, in chapter two, they cried out to God, Yahweh, for relief. In chapter five, they even cry out to Pharaoh for relief. And now in chapter 12, Yahweh is giving the Egyptians something to cry about. The people have been so harsh and dealt so harshly with the Israelites, God's people, God's giving them a reason to cry. And that's why as this great cry goes up and they realize what's happened, they not only try to get, Pharaoh not only lets the people go, but he demands that they go. Pharaoh and the Egyptians cannot get the Israelites out of Egypt quick enough. Look at what happens as we continue the story in chapter 12 in verse 31. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel and go serve the Lord as you have said, take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses had told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and jewelry and for, and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that, so that they let them have what they asked for. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. Now, there's a lot of awesome things going on in this passage, but there's three things that I think are important that we don't miss, that we make sure that we understand. And the first thing is this. It's not gonna be a surprise because it's gonna be a theme throughout every single verse that we read and all the ground we cover this morning. God is keeping his promise. God is doing exactly what he said he would do. In chapter 11, verse one, as the... God promised that after this plague, Pharaoh is going to finally let you go, but he's not just going to let you go. He's going to demand that you go. He's going to demand and command that you be sent out. And that's exactly what happens. Pharaoh is like, you got to get out of here. You got to leave. He's not just releasing them. He's demanding and commanding that they go every single last one of them. And it's not just Pharaoh who's doing that. It's all of Egypt that's, that's literally paying them to go. So take our silver, take our gold, take our fine clothing, get out of here or else we're all gonna be dead. Every single person in Egypt is pushing them out, literally paying for them to go. 
But that's the second thing that I think we need to understand. Did you see? God is providing for his people. He's providing every single need that they would have. I mean, they were, they've been slaves for hundreds of years. They don't have silver. They don't have gold. They don't have nice clothes. They've got slave clothes. They don't have anything valuable to their possession. And God is having them literally plunder the Egyptians. We're all the wealthiest nation in the known world. God is just having them lose all of their stuff given to the Israelites. And what God is showing, what he's showing his people is I care about you. I'll always provide for you. I'll always take care of your needs. You know why God's doing this? Because he's wanting them to remember that they can always trust him. That no matter what they're going through, no matter what difficult situation they face, I'll provide for you. I'll take care of you. That's what God is doing. And the third thing that's so incredible about this passage is that not only is God coming through with his promises, not only is he providing for them and their needs, but he's also providing for their obedience. If you remember from the sermon last week, God gave them the symbol of unleavened bread as they were preparing for the Passover, that as they took that, they needed to eat unleavened bread. And that was to be a sign of haste for them that they would be on the ready. They didn't have time to let the bread rise. They couldn't put leaven in it. They needed to be ready for God to move at any moment. And right here, we see that it's like, even if they wanted to put leaven in the bread, they didn't have time to. God literally moved in such a way that he was arranging the circumstances for them to be obedient so that they could be delivered. So right here in the most unbelievable ways, God not only provides by keeping his promises and provides for their needs, he even provides for their obedience. And he's doing all this to do the ultimate and provide for their freedom. And you know why he does this? He does this so that they'll remember. He's wanting them to remember and not forget how he is their provision to bring them out of Egypt. And that's exactly what happens. Look at what verse 37 says. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked the unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that they had spent in Israel, of, the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. This is the moment God brings the people out of Egypt. They're free. They're delivered. And right here, God is showing that he's not just delivering a few. He delivers and sets free every single last one of them. Verse 37 says the number was 600,000 people. Most scholars, since that doesn't include the women and children, believe that that number was 2 million. Now, why is that significant other than it just being a big number? God is keeping his promise to Abraham. God is keeping his promise to Abraham that through you, though you don't have a descendant right now, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And there's this unbelievable amount of people. God's made them into a great nation, but God made another promise to Abraham. 
Not only did he say that, that your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, but he said, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Now, ultimately that points to the coming of Jesus, but we see a little picture of it here. Because when it says that, that a mixed multitude went with them, that's talking about Egyptians and possibly even other people who were in Egypt at the time, enslaved in different ways or whatever the case may be, chose to go with the people of Israel. Like they had been so moved by what God had done. Even though they had for a time had looked down on the Israelites and probably, you know, were even dealt harshly with them. They see God move in all these plagues and they have come to believe that Yahweh is the one true God. So they're willing to leave everything just so they can be near Yahweh. They want to belong to him. They want to belong to him the way the Israelites do. They want to be near him, that they're willing to leave everything behind and go because they've discovered that we want to be with a God who does exactly what he says he'll do. And so they go. And so this is the moment that God is continuing to keep his promises, proving, just remember, 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 because I'm the one who delivers you. But here's the thing. God knows something very troubling about Israel. And he knows this very same thing that's troubling about you and about me is that they're going to, they're going to forget what they should remember. And that's why God is putting processes and systems in place to make sure that they remember and not forget. Look at what he says in verse 42, as he begins to set this up. It says, it was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. When it says there in verse 42, that it was a night of watching by the Lord, that, that watching carries this, it could just as easily be translated a night of observance. What God is wanting them to do is every single year, every single Passover from generation to generation, that this would, night would always be observed. And the reason why he was doing this is so that they would always remember what God had done. That they would always remember that when they had no ability to free themselves, when there was nothing they could do as they had been slaves for all time, that they would always remember that God brought them out, that God made a way, that God delivered them, that God was their freedom, that God provided for every need, that God was the one who, who pillaged Egypt and won that victory over the false gods of Egypt and won that victory over Pharaoh and in his goodness towards them, allowed them to partake in it. They were the ones who benefited from it. God is wanting them to remember because he knows that just like us, they have a tendency to forget. And so he's wanting them to remember. That's, why, that's the whole reason why he gives them the Passover. But listen, God didn't stop with Passover. He also continues it in his word. Do you know that this phrase right here in verse 42, where it says out of Egypt, is a phrase that from this point on is in God's word 56 times. Over and over again, God is saying, remember, 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 don't forget. Because God knows that if they remember what God did to bring them out of Egypt, there is no circumstance, there's no situation that they will ever face that they would ever be shook from because they'll look behind them and they'll remember God was faithful to bring us out of Egypt. When there was no way, we didn't have a chance, there was nothing we could do. So that means he'll be faithful with us in a future He'll be faithful with us right now. 
he will keep his promises because that's who our God is. And not only did God want his people to remember that, but he wanted the people who were leaving, the mixed multitude, to understand that as well. So that's why God gives them special instructions and wants to make sure that they understand everything they need to understand about how to be his people and how to partake in the Passover. And that's what we see next. Look at verse 43 through 51 as we finish out the chapter. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of that land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and one for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Now, listen, there's a lot going on there. A whole lot of stuff that we don't have the time to unpack all of it. But there's something I want you to see from this. Is that these people who are leaving Egypt, this mixed multitude that they're going, we just want to be near the one true God, Yahweh. They're willing to be circumcised. A practice that was not their own. A, a painful practice for them to go, it doesn't matter. This isn't a part of our custom. This isn't how we grew up. This is completely different from the way that we did things, but we're willing to do anything so that we can be with the people of God, so that we can be with Yahweh because he has proven that he is who he says he is and everything that he says to come to pass will come to pass. This is an unbelievable move of faith. I want us to understand how convinced these people were by the things that they saw, that they were willing to even take on a painful practice so that they could be with Yahweh. But the thing that I most want you to take from this passage, from this section of scripture, is verse 51. It says, And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. On that very day. This was the day of their deliverance. This was the first day of the rest of their life. This was the new day. And can you just imagine the scene? Can you imagine what they were feeling? It was probably something like, Ashira Adonai, King Oga. Ashira Adonai, King Oga. Come on, Prince of Egypt. There can be miracles. I mean, can you picture the scene? It was unbelievable. And you can picture the scene because you've seen the Prince of Egypt or if you're older, the Ten Commandments. You know, not my generation, but good movie. Listen, as much as we can try to imagine because of those things that have been depicted from us, I promise there is nothing that we can imagine that was, that was the high that they were experiencing. For 400 years without any ability to ever be set free, without thinking that this was just going to be their life. This was just going to be their future. All that they'd ever known was slavery. And God, on that very day, 
They plunder the Egyptians. They see the mixed multitude coming with them. People leaving their houses that are Egyptian who had been harsh with them. Just saying, like, can, I, can I be your friend? I mean, this is what's going on. They are hyped. They're on a high. They're with Yahweh. They just saw God flex all over Pharaoh and all the Egyptian gods. And like, yeah, we're with him. Yeah, that's our God. And they're being pushed out of Egypt and they're so excited. But you know what? They're going to forget what they should remember. Just two chapters later, a page flip, probably just a couple days. All that they're feeling, this high, this victory, they're going to, they're going to forget what they should remember. Pharaoh is going to realize what he's done and he's going to come after them. They're going to be encamped at the Red Sea and the Red Sea is going to be in front of them and Pharaoh is going to be behind them and they're going to forget what they should remember. Look at what happens in chapter 14, verse 10 and 11. What they say, even though they're being protected by a pillar and God is standing in between Pharaoh and the Red Sea, this is what they say. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? They forgot what they should remember. They forgot like that. They come against some difficulty and they forget everything. They're afraid of Pharaoh. They're afraid of Pharaoh's army. They're completely forgetting how God has just rendered Pharaoh and all of Egypt useless. They're forgetting that these people who are coming after them, we're just begging them to go and we're paying them to go. They forgot all that God had done. They were forgetting to remember. They weren't stupid. They didn't have amnesia. They just were forgetting to remember that everything that God says he will do, everything that he promised, he will bring to pass. They're forgetting the faithfulness of God. And it, it really, it's because they're choosing not to remember. And so they despair, they cry out, they complain. And they're even wishing for the slavery that, they, that God has just delivered them from. And can we be honest, please? Can we just pretend that it's just us and we're just hanging out all the time and just have some real talk? We are just like them. We forget what we should remember all the time. And even worse, we remember what we should forget. When we when we step into a situation and we have any sort of struggle in our marriage, not only do we forget our vows that we made to that person, but we instead remember what we should forget and remember all the ways that they've just let us down. And we forget the vows, we forget the love, we forget the blessing, and we just remember all the ways that they've let us down and wounded us. Whenever we walk up against something difficult and finances get a little tight, we forget what we should remember that God is the one who provides for us. Listen, can I just tell you that your greatest challenge in all of life isn't your circumstances. 
It isn't your difficult situations. It isn't not having enough money. It isn't your spouse, your disobedient children, or your parents that won't follow through with what they said they would do. Your greatest struggle isn't the, the way that our nation is going. It's not the way that the school system is. It's not taxes. It's not anything other than your forgetfulness. My greatest struggle in life is that I forget what I should remember every single time. Because if I remember who God is and what he's done, and it doesn't matter what my circumstances are, I'll know that even when it looks completely impossible, God always does what he says he does. And there's no better evidence, no greater evidence of that than the gospel. God saw us in the slavery of our sin. He saw us knowing that there was nothing we could do to save ourselves, completely enslaved, completely without any way out, trying and just everything that we try to do would just enslave us worse. And so God sends his son, Jesus. Jesus lives a perfect life. The Messiah, the most high God, he's gonna deliver us. He's gonna deliver his people, the Israelites. He lives a perfect life. And then the most unexpected thing happens. He's arrested, he's beaten, he's scourged, he's crucified, and he's killed. And the Messiah, the person that the Israelites thought was gonna deliver them, the person that was supposed to come and save us from our sin is dead and in a tomb. He's buried. And, there, and it looks like death, slavery, sin had won. It looked like there was nothing that could be done that, that would make it better. It looked like everything that he said he was, wasn't true. It looked like everything that he said he would do, there's no way he can do it because he's dead. He was dead for three days, but on the third day, Jesus rose again against all odds. When it looked like there was no way, he shook off death and he rose again on the third day. And you know what he took with him? He took the sting out of death. He conquered hell, the sin and the grave. And just like, just like the Israelites plundered the Egyptians, Jesus plundered death. He plundered hell. And so that everyone who would put their faith and trust in Jesus, hell would lose another one. Hell would lose another one. Hell would lose another one and be brought into the family of God. Listen, when it looks like there is absolutely no way, all we need to do is remember the gospel because the gospel is proof that no matter what we walk through, no matter what we experience, no matter the difficulty, no matter the lack of money, no matter the trouble, no matter the trial, God always does what he says he will do. Nothing can keep God from his faithfulness. Nothing can stop the power of God to be who he is and deliver his people to provide for his people, to make a way for his people. And your and I greatest struggle isn't the struggle, it's that we're forgetting what we should remember. And the best way for us to remember the gospel this morning is by taking the Lord's Supper. But before we take the Lord's Supper and before you check out, literally everything has been leading up to this moment. Don't forget what you should remember. Even as you're moving to get the elements at home, for those of you who are watching online, don't check out. Before we take the Lord's Supper, we need to allow the Spirit of God to search our hearts. For those of you who are believers in Jesus, 
What are the areas in your life? What are the circumstances that you're walking through right now that are causing you to forget what you should remember? What are the things that are making you anxious? What are the things that are making you fearful? What are the things that you're just struggling with right now? It could be health. It could be finances. It could be a relationship. Listen, the greatest struggle isn't those things. The greatest struggle is you not forgetting what you should remember. Remember the gospel and that you can have peace by remembering who he is and what he's done. And because of the gospel, you know that he's been faithful behind you to deliver you and make you new, giving you the Holy Spirit, making you the temple of God. He'll be faithful before you. There's nothing that can keep God from doing over and over and over again what he said he would do. So if you're a believer in Jesus this morning and there's something that you're forgetting that you need to remember, would you be willing? Say, God, remind me. Remind me who you are. Remind me that in every single circumstance, I can trust you. So if you're forgetting something and the spirit reminds you of that this morning, I just invite you, come, lay it down on the altar. That thing you've been trying to carry, thinking that it's too much, lay it down on the altar. If you want someone to pray with you, the, the pastors, the prayer team will be up here. We'd love to combine our faith with you and pray the promises of God over you that are yours in Christ Jesus, that you have everything you need to remind you so that you can remember that God is faithful. You can trust him. But listen, there's, a, there's some of you in here this morning, you're trying to remember, you get, I think he said, remember about a hundred times. So I'm trying to remember, but can I tell you, you can't remember something that's never happened. And so you haven't been delivered yet. You haven't been brought into the people of God yet. So you can't remember what hasn't happened. Can I tell you that today can be the day of your deliverance? Today can be the first day, the day where you're brought out of Egypt, the day where you become a part of the family of God, where you're set free, you're, where you're made new. You're no longer in Egypt, but you get delivered to becoming no longer destined for hell, but a citizen of heaven, no longer dead in your sin, but alive in Christ Jesus. Today can be the first day of the rest of your life. And so if you're here this morning, you're ready to put your faith and trust in Jesus and become a child of God, just like the mixed multitude who left everything so that they could be with God. Come, don't wait, don't let fear hold you back. Come and put your faith in Jesus. Come grab one of the pastors or one of the prayer team members. And we would love to be your witnesses as you profess your faith in Jesus. And then you have the awesome opportunity to make it public that just like the Passover lamb was in the place of the Israelites, that Jesus is in your place and that he saved you, he's delivered you. You're not a slave anymore, but you're a child of God and make it clear, giving a public statement through your baptism. This is your moment. This is the day of salvation. This is the day of deliverance where you declare God always does what he says he'll do. I can trust him. So before we take the Lord's Supper, this is our moment to respond. So let's stand, prayer team, pastors come, and let's respond to remember as the Lord leads us.